0: Everybody. The reading today is 1 Samuel chapter 1. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zufite from the hill country of Ephraim, who was, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives, one was called Hannah and the other was called Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meal to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah, he gave the Lord a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now, Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, If you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the Lord God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favour in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. When the man Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfil his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord And he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, Elkanah, her husband told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, And brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked for. So now I give him to the Lord, for his whole life he shall be given over to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord there.
1: Wonderful, thank you for that. There was a lot there to read. I'm glad it wasn't me, especially that first bit. I don't do names. (laughs) Forgive me while I faff. I've reached an age, forgive me. (laughs) Hello, everybody. (laughs) Are we good? Close enough? Yeah. Okey-doke. So, we're starting a little um, teaching series. Uh, under the kind of heading of who is in control of your life. And uh, you may be c- quite possibly tempted to think at this point, well, that would be my boss. Some of you may say, huh, that's my spouse. <laughs> um, or you possibly will say, well, that would be my child's after-school uh, activity schedule, <laughs> which is quite possible. And uh, or you might just be saying... Do you think this mess of my life is controlled? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You need someone to get there. Um, Obviously, uh, we know as Christians, there is one who is ultimately in control, and if we let him. However, sometimes we need to change in order to submit to his control. So, as we unpack this, I'm sure there'll be many encouragements and painful revelations in equal measure over the coming weeks. Um, and as for today, obviously, we've just heard 1 Samuel 1, which is what we're looking at. And today is, who is in control of your life when life seems empty? So, it's got to be an irony that at a time when most of us are so incredibly busy and we have so many things we have to do. Um, like I mentioned, with work and, and family commitments, after-school schedules and maybe even church stuff. Uh, there's this greater and greater law great I can't even speak greater and greater draw on our life, and yet at such a time it is possible that we can then feel empty. Of course, the complete opposite may also be true. Perhaps you're now retired when you've had to stop working through health issues. And um, or perhaps you know your, your child's fled the nest, and you're suffering from emptiness syndrome. Do they call it um, that kind of thing? The purpose that kept you and got you up each morning every day has perhaps come to an end, and a feeling of emptiness can take its place. You have nothing to do and all day to do it. In they say, whatever the reason, the feeling of emptiness can be profound. Yet it's not always obvious as to why we feel that way. We do sometimes just drift through life, just feeling this, and it sounds a bit depressing, doesn't it? But it's like there's a mild depression. We're all okay, but. (laughs) And if we're not careful, we can try and fill that emptiness with all sorts of other things. Some of them can be positive, and some of them are not. It seems that the things that seem to offer the quickest fixes are often the things that do more harm than good. Some people fill their lives with work, keeping so busy they don't even have time to feel. Some find comfort in food. Perhaps others in relationships that aren't healthy. Possibly you drink too much or too often. All these quick, thick, ways thick I see, I can't speak again. All these quick, fix ways of addressing this issue tend to end up making the emptiness worse, and ultimately, cut us off from the one we need most in our feelings of emptiness. Forgive me. That's better. <laughs> After all, if we're being intimate with the things of this world, then we're not being intimate with God. Now, a psychologist, Dr. Margaret Paul, as she's a PhD, author of multiple titles and a public speaker, describes emptiness as a state of lack. She's basically saying that we're missing something that you do not have. That's not to say that you've got to have the latest iPhone to fill that emptiness and be happy. Physical stuff does not fill a void. And when it seems to, it is only temporary. Go to a scrapyard and it's full of rusting metal that was once somebody's pride and joy. And probably long before it got to that stage, when it was new and shiny and you loved it, you're like, no, no one's eating in here. And then a little way down the line, you're the one that's in there with a flaky pastry. <laughs> um, same when you get a new carpet as well, isn't it? Take your shoes off but further down like, ah, whatever, come on in. (laughs) Emptiness is real and can be a persistent state for some, though. You may be okay right now and could find yourself in a... but you could find yourself in that place for a time in the future. If you do, it's a sign that something in your life is askew or out of balance. As for Hannah... She was clearly going for a time of feeling empty. What can we learn from Hannah's story? Well, firstly, where does our help come from? I bet everyone, there's a few people in here got a song in their head right now, isn't there? You can it comes from the Lord. Uh, I think that song's ripped directly from Psalm 121. Um, but we see Hannah has been crying out to God for some time. This is never a bad thing but her situation wasn't changing she still had to wait for some time before she saw the change her emptiness remained and it was obvious that something was up and to make things worse it was obvious for all around her to see the pressure she must have felt as a woman in that culture must have been overwhelming But not having a child, and especially a male heir, would have been a source of tremendous shame for Hannah. In fact, her husband had the right to divorce her for that reason alone. Add to that the public nature of her inability to conceive. After all, you can't hide the fact that you don't have a child. That shame she felt would have been overwhelming and would have been very isolating. She was clearly feeling life was empty. Now, her husband tried to help. We hear firstly that he loved her. This would surely be a huge comfort, would it not? Well, no. Once again, it's an irony that so many people in life would perhaps attribute their feeling of emptiness to the fact that they don't have a relationship They don't have someone to love or to share their love back to somebody. And they would be seeking that thing to fill their emptiness. She had that, but it didn't help. It does reveal, though, that any emptiness that we may fill can't be filled by another person. That's not to say a partner can't help by doing life together and having each other's love but it's just not the solution on its own. And if it seems that it is, then it's possible that the relationship balance or your priorities um, are, are askew, basically. They're not where they should be, or at least they're not there yet. We don't always start in that place. If you're in a healthy place, In your relationship, both sides will, though, however, be working towards that goal, especially if you're in a Christian relationship where God should take first place and then each other a close second. Hannah's husband tries to help in other ways, too. We see that he shows a favoritism over his other wife, giving her the best of the food at the feast, And I would risk going beyond that, saying if he was doing that there, he was probably showing a favouritism in other ways. Um, We read that he loves her. This didn't help. And while it was an obvious gesture of love, and possibly comfort towards Hannah, it would seem eating wasn't any comfort at all. Something I have yet to get to grips with. (laughs) And of course, we can't look at this chapter without focusing on that wonderful line our husband uses to try and bring comfort. Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? (laughs) Poor guy, I'm sure he meant well. But us men, we just don't always say the right things to our wives. After 24 years of marriage next month, I have learned just two things. When my wife starts cleaning the kitchen life, her life depends on it. And I inquire what's wrong and I get the answer, I'm fine. There's a good chance that she's probably not fine. And possibly, possibly, I may even be the cause for that. <laughs> and the second as if your wife comes home from a difficult and upsetting day at work, don't use man logic to help the situation. Shut your mouth and give her a hug. Now, I say I've learned these things, and it's true, I have learned them. still haven't always learned to put them into practice. <laughs> so, I'm sorry, my wife, my darling, my Tracy. Nobody else would have me, I tell you. <laughs> Getting back on track, though, people can't fill the void. But the right person can still be of support and comfort. We should laugh with those who laugh and weep with those who weep. Something we should certainly be mindful to do here in the church. We are able to be the blessing that somebody else needs. Equally, a wise person may be able to support you to make practical changes that may help. As for Hannah, it was a change that needed to happen. For Hannah... She started off wanting to see change in her circumstances, that is i want I want a child." She knew where her help came from, as she had prayed for years for God for that. She knew he was the answer yet, and the Lord was in fact already answering, however, not in the way that she was expecting during this period of Hannah crying out to God she Makes a change. Her prayer changes from essentially give me what I want to grant me my request and I will give him back to you. God was and is in control. God wanted a priest, judge, prophet in, in, the, in the shape of Samuel to carry out his plans. And as for Hannah, in the waiting, and I'm sure with God's help, Hannah was enabled to bring her desire in line with god's will so as to make all things come together for good as they say and we see this play out in scripture from psalm 37 um, starting from verse 3 it says trust in the lord and do good then you will live safely in the land and prosper take delight in the lord and he will give you your heart's desires commit everything you do to the lord trust him and he will help you he will make your innocence radiate like the dawn and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun be still in the presence of the lord and wait patiently for him to act don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes i'll stop there hannah lived this psalm through the waiting Having to commit everything to the Lord, and enduring the taunts of her rival, and eventually coming to a place where she was just content to, to trust in Him. Hannah went through a period of emptiness, but God remained in control. He had a plan. It was a plan He would to make Hannah dependent on Him, that would grant Hannah her desire. And remo- uh, grant Hannah her desire remove her shame and emptiness and provide him with Samuel to carry out his plans the lesson here is we too may have to make changes if we are struggling with feelings of emptiness which is kind of my second point we may have to change like Hannah we may be crying out to God in our feelings of emptiness But we may need to change before we see the change we want to see. What is the change that we need to make? Well, the answer will be different for each of us. It could be a practical thing. One example may be that your life you're now living is leaving you unfulfilled, basically. Often, we put together a life for ourselves full of commitments that fitted for us once upon a time however over time minor changes creep in one little extra thing here a regular thing that we're committed to moves by a day or just an hour maybe and you know added out all the things that we just have to do in life and the commitments that we we just cannot avoid and over time That life that you created for yourself has altered shape and just no longer fits you. Suddenly, it's just, you know, you're on a treadmill. Now, if emptiness is a state of luck and your life is like this, it could easily creep in. Maybe that's because you don't have time left to do anything for yourself. That is what your desire is. And that could be different for each of us. It could be taking part in a hobby, resting. It could be serving in a church, something you want to do and you just, you can't make it balance, and it's all askew. Maybe your state of lack is a spiritual one. You've got out of the habit of spending time with God. You know it's happened, but are struggling to know where in your daily routine to do this. Or where to start. Take the fact that you're hearing this today. as permission to make the changes you need to make. If the problem for you is busyness, well, I don't need to speak on that. Mark Tott spoke on that some weeks back. And if you missed it, listen to him on the website or on the YouTube page. You can put it on whilst you're washing up or doing the ironing if you're too busy. Even if you have too much free time, yet you're not filling it with at least a portion of it as as something positive and fulfilling and drifting, and a certain apathy has maybe crept in, then change may be necessary. The thing they all have in common is if you continue doing the same thing as before, you are going to get the same results. You may have to drop something you currently do to make time for the thing you need to do, whether thats spend more time with God or time on yourself, although I would add that spending time with God is actually turns out to be more time on yourself it 's just not always obvious until you do it, which leads me to my third and kind of final point, which is the change you need to make most is your you could say attitude or perspective, you need to believe it can change. And that is actually what happened with Hannah. Before she saw a change in her physical circumstances, Hannah had a change. She had a change of perspective that allowed her to decide that she would give Samuel to the Lord. And this change in attitude was born out of the waiting she had lived out for many years. These times are never wasted. Um, I'm thinking to, obviously, James chapter 1, that wonderful passage, which I will be honest, I detest it. I detest that passage, and you know why? Because I've never yet found pure joy <laughs> in trials and struggles. I can look back on it later and think that was a great time, you know. Oh, it really that made a difference. you know if that hadn 't happened i 'd have never got to hear but in the moment i 've never yet quite managed to make to feel the joy um, and I was thinking about this. I was thinking about a, a quote I, only, I thought about it this morning from c. s. Lewis um, and I very quickly put uh, saved the shortcut on my phone, and hopefully it'll open um, because. Obviously, I, you know, you have a passage and I say, I hate it. I, I love it because it's God's word. But so often when there's something in the Bible that requires us to change our attitude, it is painful. And I was just remind, remembered how C.S. Lewis described his coming to God. And it says, it says, you must picture me alone in that room in Magdalen, night after night, feeling whatever my mind lifts. Whenever my mind lifted, even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him, him, who I so earnestly desired not to meet, (laughs) that which I greatly feared had at last come upon me in the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed perhaps that night the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. (laughs) It can be like that. And he goes on to say he was yet to realise, you know, what wonderful God we have, that he would accept him even in that state, kicking and screaming, effectively. And uh, I've always appreciated that one, because, yeah, change is never easy. Anyway. Asahana, she... She, uh, she, she shared her situation with Eli the priest. He prayed with her and it goes on to state that she had something to eat and her face was no longer downcast. And the next morning she arose and worshipped the Lord. Her priorities had changed from crying out to the Lord to worshipping him. Now there is nothing wrong with crying out to the Lord. God help me is the prayer I probably say the most and many times a day. And to, but to worship the Lord even in the midst of your troubles can often be the best and most powerful thing you can do. And yes, sometimes you have to do it as a choice regardless of whether your circumstances and emotions want to. There is no quicker way change your perspective and to worship the one who has ultimate control and to take your sights off of you and back onto him and that will be the quickest way we can change ourselves and our feelings of emptiness we may feel paul says in philippians i know what it is to be in need and i know what it is to have plenty I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. These words are so important to this subject of emptiness as it's just the fact that we may not always see the answer to a prayer or a change in our situation that we want to see. Sometimes we're just going to have to endure it and find that, you know, that happy place. But if we, as Paul, submit ourselves to God and rest in the knowledge that when we give him the reins of our life, then he is in control. And that, will teach us, that he will teach us and fill our emptiness. And he'll do that whether or not we see a change in our physical circumstances or, or not he will fill that emptiness it is not a quick fix paul himself says he had to learn the secret of being content regardless of his circumstances and i think what he was probably learning because god is i find is quick to respond to our needs actually in that way when we give ourselves to him he fills that hole quite quickly um the circumstances won't change but he'll fill that hole quickly what we need to learn in that is to submit to doing that and that's the difficult part. As for Hannah, she had to go through mixed circumstances of blessings and disappointment. Um, She too learned to be content. And we must, through our circumstances and things, also make that, that change. I did certainly because I looked at this subject for today. I had to a lot, and uh, it was a, like I said, I came kicking and screaming, I would say, onto today's subject. We are lucky, though. We are a building full of people, and we do have each other to give ourselves strength and to support each other if we're going through a feeling of emptiness. And most importantly, we have Him who heals and comforts and gives us strength we need for that journey and will fill our emptiness. Shall we just pray quickly? Father God, I thank you that you are always there and hear our prayers. Lord, that you want to fill any emptiness we have, Lord. And I just pray for each and every one of us as we reflect that you will put on each person's heart what they need to do for them to come into a closer and fuller relationship with you in everything they do, Lord, so that emptiness doesn't get to creep in or to fill an emptiness that they already are struggling with. We thank you, Lord. Amen.